All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, let's go uh, to some great guests now, progressive guests. Joining me now is Alex Lawson. He is executive director of Social Security Works. Alex, welcome back to the Young Turks. Thanks for having me. No problem, brother. So uh, you're for Medicare for all, correct? Yes. Are you for Medicare for some? No, it's gotta be Medicare for all, Jenk. Okay, how about Medicare for a tiny amount of the population? Nope, still not gonna cut it. It's gotta be Medicare for all. We have Medicare for some right now. Um, so we know that it works, but we need to improve on what we have right now. Um, Medicare for those 65 and over and some folks with disabilities. Um, and we need to fill the gaps. So no co-pays, we need to add vision, we need to add hearing, we need to add dental, and then we need to expand it to cover everyone. We need to add long-term support and services. And in short, we need to build a healthcare system that delivers healthcare. Um, that yeah. when a person gets sick or injured, they go, they get the care that they need. So what I'm hearing from you is Medicare for most. <laughs> Still not quite there. It's gotta be for all, Jenk. Okay. And literally it has to be, it won't work otherwise. If we leave some people out, that means that we're leaving the rot in the system. We're leaving part of the corrupt system that currently exists to continue to exist. And what we've seen with Medicare Advantage and what we see it time and time again is that the Wall Street-backed corporate insurance pharmaceutical industry will take that beachhead and they will just conquer the whole thing again. So we have to get to improved Medicare for literally all. Now, uh, putting the kidding aside, Alex, it, that's, there's a really great point in there. And I wanna come back to that policy point in a second. But the reason that I, I started out that way is because a lot of the candidates are now saying Medicare for some, Medicare for most, Medicare buy-in, uh, and, and they seem to be equivocating. Um, so in the mainstream media, they're a funny lot, right? They just go, oh yeah, well that's all Medicare for all. No, wait, if you're a journalist, wouldn't you wanna suss out the difference? That, that would be really important, right? And, and elucidate for your readers or for your viewers what the differences are. So, uh, so I wanna be clear, uh, who are the candidates that you think right now are definitely in for Medicare for all? And who are the ones who are definitely against and who are the ones in the middle? Now, look, you don't have to list all of them, but give us a sense of the major players. Well, I think uh, clearly you define Medicare for all as Pramila Jayapal's bill in the House uh, and Bernie Sanders' bill in the Senate. That is Medicare for all. There are no other bills uh, that are Medicare for all. So if you take the co-sponsors that are on Bernie's Medicare for all bill in the Senate, uh, and I understand some people might quibble about some of this, but that is an actual high bar. Getting on a bill as an original co-sponsor then you have Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Senator Harris, and Senator Booker uh, all on the, and Senator Gillibrand all on that bill. Um, so that's a pretty good start. And then you do have others who have said, you know, they support it. Um, and there's a lot of people running, so I'm kind of going to stick to the, the top tier. Uh, but Mayor Pete, for example, I'd like to hear more from him on his vision of this um, because he hasn't been in the federal arena as much. But then you have people, you know, you have Beto O'Rourke who said he was for Medicare for all, 
and then made it really clear he is no longer for Medicare for all. He supports a different policy uh, that is built upon a public option, a buy-in, um, that is confusingly called, on purpose, Medicare for America. Um, and you have uh, Joe Biden, who it's really unclear where he's going to be, but he's not at Medicare for all, and 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 Senator Klobuchar is not at Medicare for all either. So, um, in terms of Meadow O'Rourke, he's the one that seems to have switched his position the most because I don't ever remember uh, Biden saying that he was for Medicare for all. So, and that's fine. Uh, you know, there's voters who uh, are going to you know buy into the mainstream media narrative that it's too hard to get there, even though 70% of the country agrees with it, et cetera, et cetera. Or maybe some that don't want it. Okay, so then Biden might be your candidate, Klobuchar might be your candidate. But Beto said he was for Medicare for all and then switched. And just you know, as he announced, he said, I'm for single payer, but I'm not for getting to single payer through single payer. What? What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything, except for the fact that you are clearly not for single payer right now. So I don't know if this is relevant, but what do you think happened to him? You know, it's really unclear because, and it's and it's extraordinarily disappointing. I mean, like extraordinarily disappointing because we have the momentum, we have the policy. Uh, Pramila Jayapal's bill in the House is the best healthcare policy I've ever seen. Not the best healthcare policy that's you know the corporate media says is possible or that you know uh, is poll tested or even in this country. It's that we went into this process and said, how do we build a system that works? How do we build an American system that provides healthcare to everyone in this country? If you get sick, if you get hurt, you get the care that you need. We have this bill. We have over 100 sponsors on this bill. The Senate bill is coming out. You're seeing poll after poll after poll showing that the people are with us. So who was he listening to that told him to turn a different direction, right? Who is the voice that says, "Oh yeah, it looks like we're making tremendous progress uh, building a system for everyone. Why don't we just go the other way?" Uh, and you know, I, I can't answer because I don't know who had those conversations, but I've seen this before. It's every single time. It's aim lower, aim lower, because it's more politically palatable. We saw this with the ACA, right, where they actually excluded single payer folks from the table because they said, oh, but if we go after that now, they're going to spend the next eight years demonizing it as a government takeover and run election after election after election on repealing it. And we'll avoid that by going after the public option, which they didn't even get. We didn't even get in the end. Uh, and obviously what happened is the Republicans actually ran against mandating people get private insurance that is better regulated. And I, the ACA is a good step forward from where we were. But it's literally private insurance. It's, and they still attacked it as a government takeover. So this preconceding, this negotiating with ourselves is just, it's infuriating. Yeah, and and I remember getting a lot of flack from Daily Coast and other people claiming to be progressives when I said Obama never intends to do the public option. It's just it's meant to appease you, and he'll never do it. And they're like, "You're crazy! Of course Obama's going to do the public option." No, he didn't. 
Because if you don't even have the single payer guys in the room, you ain't gonna do the public option. You're gonna keep negotiating with yourself and you're gonna go lower and lower and lower. And so in the case of Better work, you know that a lot of people now, when I say a lot of people, establishment Democrats and people in the media are like, why did you guys turn on Beto O'Rourke? No, the question is, why did he turn on us? So all we're do, look doing is looking at the policy positions. He he's the one who changed the policy positions, not us. And so now I want to go. Speaking of policy, I want to go to the heart of what's wrong with this way of thinking, right? Because a lot of people, again in Washington, and everyone on television will say, "Hey guys, why don't you be reasonable?" And let's just keep private insurance and give Medicare to some people, but not to everybody. But Alex, isn't the problem with that that it's a trick to send all the sick people to Medicare and have all the healthy people go to private insurance? And then what would be the result of that? Right now in real time, you look at Medicare Advantage versus traditional Medicare. Now, what's the single most important difference between these two systems? In Medicare Advantage, you can get denied care because it's private insurance, because there's an insurance company bureaucrat who's in between you and your care, okay? That's the difference. Now, what they do is they actually, first of all, they grease the palms here in Washington, D.C. so that they get a subsidized deal. It's just straight profit into their pockets. Uh, We pay more for Medicare Advantage than traditional Medicare, but then they also are able to take, let's say it's they get 15 extra dollars from the taxpayer for Medicare Advantage. They take 13 of those dollars, put it right into their bank accounts to buy the next yacht. But they take two of those dollars and they give them to the people in the form of extra benefits or marketing that is actually targeted at the healthiest people, the people who cost them the less, uh, the least. And the point of that is what's called cream skimming. If you get the healthiest and the youngest people into Medicare Advantage and you leave the costliest, the sicker folks with chronic conditions in traditional Medicare, traditional Medicare will sink under the weight of having to provide care for the most costly, but not being able to share the risk among everybody. That's how a social insurance program works. The best social insurance programs are those that are universal, like social security, that can share the risk of lost wages amongst the entire population. That's why we have to get to Medicare for all. And if we leave the corporate Wall Street-backed insurance in the room, what they're going to do is they have an insane amount of money, right? And this town functions on money, as you well know, as you're working to change that. But for the moment, money talks here. And they're going to use that money to corrupt the process and just drill more holes into whatever the system is to find themselves more places to make money. And at the end of the day, it's important to always remember, there's only one way they can make money. They take our premiums and they deny our care. So guys, uh, you have to understand that in some cases, moderation makes sense. And in some cases, people might reasonably disagree on where they are in the political spectrum. In this case, the call for moderation is an actual trick. It's to do the cream skimming that Alex is talking about here to get the healthiest people into the private insurance and the sickest people into Medicare so that Medicare looks like it's more expensive 
and they make more money on the healthy people going in to the private insurance. And so it's not a moderate position. It's a position that privatizes the gains and socializes the losses. And it, and it does not lead to the lower cost that we need if everyone's in the same system. So it's super important that there's guys like Alex Lawson out there and groups like Social Security Works out there fighting the good fighting, clarifying that for people and, and organizing progressives around it. So socialsecurityworks.org is the website. Everybody, please check it out. And Alex, thank you again for joining us on The Young Turks. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. All right, when we come back, the National Policy Director for Indivisible and how they have changed their mind on several candidates. But it goes in a couple of different directions here, so it's really interesting. Come right back for that. All right, back on the Young Turks, we got another great guest for you guys. Mari Urbina joins me now. She's the National Policy Director for Indivisible. I want to talk about a couple of the candidates and some interesting issues out there too. Mari, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm rock and roll. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's talk uh, Elizabeth Warren. Better uh, Warren? Uh, I hope not. Warren. Uh, <laughs> uh, better O'Rourke, and then I want to talk about their staff too. Some of the staff of of the candidates. So sure. um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, a turn for the positive uh, is the sense I'm getting from you, based on what I've read. Uh, what do you think was going wrong with Elizabeth Warren's campaign before, and what do you think she has addressed in a positive way now? Great, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if you caught her CNN town hall just the other night, but it was really remarkable. You can tell that she's had countless town halls, and it really shows. And I think it's a great model for other candidates to make sure that they're talking to the grassroots, they're talking to people directly um, without having just the highest bidders in their vicinity. And so she really, I I think she really did a remarkable job uh, explaining her policy positions, explaining her vision, um, and making sure that she's being race forward, that she's being inclusive, that she's unafraid to take bold stances that are going to really resonate with folks all across the country. But it's but specifically, excuse me, in building a multiracial coalition of, of base voters. So really impressed with um, her arc overall and really impressed that she's um, leaning into issues across the board for the base. You know, Mari, as you were talking, we were running a picture uh, where Elizabeth Warren was speaking and Ayanna Presley was in the background. I don't know if that was before Ayanna won or after she won, but it's kind of a cool thing uh, to see that obviously <laughs> they're both from Massachusetts. Anyway, uh, so- Love Ayanna. And, and her leadership, and just to plug her, I mean, we um, we endorsed her last cycle, and I just just quickly to say that I think some of these historic women, especially historic women of color who ran last cycle, um, really reshaped what we understand to be um, close to pain and then close to power. And Ayana talks a lot about that. And I think that that has made it so that this field of presidential candidates can come in and be their full self, be their, you know, be fully a person of color, be fully a woman, be fully an LGBTQ person um, in this moment and be considered uh, competitive and dynamic. And so I think we have to think, you know, the Stacey Abrams, Ayanna Presley's, Andrew Gillum's of, of the 2018 cycle for giving us this vision for what can be politically possible. Ooh, I love that saying, I hadn't heard that from before, from pain <laughs> to power. Ayanna <laughs> Presley says it a lot, so it's it, all kudos to her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, uh, I'm not saying I told you, but you know, Ayanna Presley, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, all just Democrats. And I said Elizabeth Warren's a real progressive, and it took a while for people to get there, and sometimes it took a while for her to get there. 
But she, she's, I mean, on so many issues, she's not just a progressive, but she's leading. Right. And it's really important to have a leader like that out there. Okay, so now, on the other hand, let's turn to Beto. <laughs> so I don't wanna prejudge what you're gonna say, and I'm not sure what you're gonna say. So what's your latest take on Beto O'Rourke? Well, Beto still has his case to make to voters, to the community, to activists. Um, he has to be really clear-eyed and specific about what he intends to do. Um, you know, I think everyone saw the rollout, and and though there is real enthusiasm, you can tell by his fundraising numbers, his grassroots fundraising numbers. Um, you can credit him for doing a really good job around uh, PAC taking money from PACs, rejecting money from PACs, rejecting corporate PAC money, um, and really leaning into talking to everyone and making the case to everyone. But I think it really matters um, what he's going to say specifically. I think that one thing, you know, folks credit him for being able to talk about immigration squarely. And I think it's great that he's not afraid to talk about immigration the way that many Democrats have been in the, in the past. But I also think Julian Castro can you know, the press and, and activists and folks who are following this race closely already should also be lifting up the ways that other candidates who might not have, you know, the privilege or the bias to be deemed viable just by, you know, walking out of their house, um, that they also be considered and measured uh, with the same level of, of excitement and scrutiny. So are there policy positions he has that concern you? Well, I think that as he articulates them, we'll want to hear what he has to say. I think when you look at his record in the Congress um, and you look at how he ran, there's a lot of excitement there and there's a lot that he can draw on uniting people from. And that's a good thing. And again, like I think that uh, the case that he makes around uh, just talking to folks everywhere and and speaking to sort of, you know, what draws us together and speaking to immigration issues, I think is really exciting. Beyond that, though, I think he still has a lot to be specific about. And I think, uh, you know, your viewers and our movement and grassroots movements across the country should be really eager to hear from him. Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, the last guest I talked to, Alex Lawson from Social Security Works, pointed out, I mean, he was for Medicare for all and then he wasn't. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I, He's got to at least clarify, like what, right. so what's your position and why did you change your position? What, was there something that prompted you to change your position? Right. Those are really important questions. Absolutely, and I think folks should be, I, I think it's the whole package, right? I think especially if you've served already in public office, it's both your record and your past, but also what you intend to do in the future um, once you're governing. And I think that both should be measured, I, I don't think that, um, you know, folks will just kind of turn away from people's record, but certainly they're able to animate folks and explain your strategic and political arc that can that voters will react well to it, but they need to believe you. Um, and so it has to be compelling, it has to be consistent and authentic throughout the cycle. And the only way to do that is to face the voters and, and be really clear. Yep, all right, so let's go, go on to their staffers, because that doesn't get a lot of attention. Today, mm-hmm. uh, it was finally in the news a little bit based on the staffers that Bernie Sanders announced, and we covered it, and other outlets did too. But I wanna get your sense holistically of the whole field. What's your sense of how they're doing in hiring staffers? Well, it's certainly historic. I think across the field, right? When you look at the number of um, staffers of color, of, of women of color, of other people um, across lines of difference in identity, you're seeing a real representation that's exciting. Um, but it cannot just stop there, right? I think we've all had really important conversations about tokenism and visibility that um, 
are, I'm so happy we're finally having them, that we're having them out loud and that we're centering. Um, again, like we, we can go back to that Ayanna Presley quote, which is those closest, you know, those in proximity to pain should be those in proximity to power. And if we're really committed to having fuller strategies and we're really committed to having um, campaigns that not just reflect our communities, but that are disrupting power so that we are sharing power so that our government and our democracy eventually looks like it's people, then we have to be really ready to not just say congratulations for having such a diverse senior leadership staff, but how are you creating real positions of, of power and leadership and budget um, and, and authority making um, as these as staff is unveiled. And I think so far what we're seeing is all very exciting and I'm really happy to look around at the field of staff. I think it makes a tremendous difference when people can come in, not just along lines of racial or ethnic or gender difference, but also um, folks who come who are coming in from the movement, who are not just like sort of your longtime campaigners who have picked who have been picked time and time again. And I think that's an exciting shift. I think Maya Rupert, the head of Castro's campaign is a really exciting um, manager who comes from the movement, who is a black woman, who is uh, who is new into this in this campaign space. And I think pushing him in ways that, that have so far been really dynamic and really authentic and, and gives some dimension to these candidates too. When you have staff who are unafraid to push you and to ask the most from you, and you have staff who can do that in a race forward way with several levels of dimension, your strategy is going to be fuller and voters are going to react to that. Um, and so far, I think we're seeing really positive developments. Yeah, I mean, I love the Brianna Joy Gray uh, uh, hire for Bernie Sanders among so mm -hmm. many others. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, and uh, and you know, look, uh, finally, uh, Klobuchar gets to yell at minority staffers just like she did for white staffers. Uh, so in that case, it's from pain to pain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm playing. You're funny. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair criticism of Klobuchar, but it was an easy joke. Okay. Well, I think you know. I think that I another another welcome topic. I think this cycle is that um, any space that is unsafe for anyone, whether it be along lines of discrimination, harassment, um, gender race and class, right? Like we have to be committed to creating safe spaces for people to work from and thrive. And so I think that it's really important that we're talking about um, campaign staff that are not just diverse, but that they're safe to organize, that they feel um, really rooted in their power and that they can thrive and that they don't have to be concerned with sort of the politics of past, which is just be loyal, don't say anything and just kind of suffer through it. And so I think, you know, I know you're joking, but I think it's a really good thing that we're having discussions about um, what a safe and thriving workplace looks like for everyone. So Mari, that's actually a great, great point because it's not the yelling so much as it is, is this a cooperative place? Is this a place where we're all learning together? And I'm getting feedback from my staff, You know, especially if I've hired a diverse staff, if I'm not listening to them, it doesn't do me much good, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so I think in that sense, it is a real issue for Senator Klobuchar's. All right, time for just one last thing. I know that some of the candidates are now talking about reparations, et cetera. I wanted to introduce the idea of baby bonds to mm, some people mm -hmm. that haven't heard of it. Can you just quickly, Mari, tell us what that is? Yeah, great. Um, and so I have to actually distinguish myself a little from my colleague, Angel Padilla, who is our policy director. I'm our political director. Um, so I'm just, I'm going to give you the top line. But the top line is that Senator Booker um, has introduced an answer to the growing racial wealth gap. And that is that 
kids of color specifically are growing into continued cycles of poverty because of the systems we've created, because of the policies we've passed, because of the real ways that we've excluded largely um, the descendants of slaves, but all black people and people of color in this country in a way that has had devastating effects and continues to maintain um, wealth closely knit to, uh, closely tied to whiteness. Um, And so I think it is important that as we talk about real economic um, reforms and, you know, you're seeing this whole field come out with great ideas and and not just sort of like the CTC here and the EITC there, you're seeing folks engage with a new framework. And that's a good thing. And I think that's where the baby bonds comes in. Um, Senator Booker, who's looking at establishing essentially savings accounts for every child born in America. And then, you know, the levels are set differently once, um, when, depending on your family situation. And so I think that's a real thing. The other thing that's important about the baby bonds, and I think for any 2020 candidate, is that you need to name that some of these proposals are solving problems that are meant to be targeted. They're solving problems that are meant to say there have been injustices, there have been stains in our history. Um, and and this proposal is not just sort of a, this is going to help solve the problem for everyone, because we've seen when universal programs have squarely left people out, largely people of color and black Americans specifically. And so it is good also that we're seeing candidates not just run on big ideas, but name the ways in which we have had a real uh, stain in our history and name the ways in which we're going to be honest about how we're going to solve for them. Yeah, and look, all of this race is so exciting because there's so many different candidates that are uh, great on different issues. And Cory Booker is also a a giant on criminal justice reform. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Mario Urbina uh, with Indivisible, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Blessed. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, uh, we got a great post game coming up for our members. That's the last half hour of the Young Turks, of course. Uh, TYT.com slash join if you'd like to join. Uh, if you want to join uh, this or give a gift of membership to someone, uh, we are doing it in a fun way for my birthday tomorrow. We're doing TYT.com slash birthday, so you can check that out. Uh, Anna and I will be right back for the post game.